Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Spice Radio. I'm Ben Job. We're here in Spice Rack Studios. Today we got a, a great veteran of Huntsville, Mr. Lynn Bullard. Been playing around here a good while, and uh, we're just uh, happy to have you. Thank you. It's good to be here. And uh, I know you've been around Huntsville a pretty long time, and uh, the scene has grown a lot uh, recently, I feel like. And uh, I, w- I was hoping to get your whole take on how it, how it's changed since, you know, maybe the 70s or anything, you know? Well... You have the period of the 60s, which is mainly held up by the local club musicians, and there's mm-hmm. like maybe one studio in town or something, and they don't do a lot. But you have an incredibly competitive um, nightclub scene because Madison County is the only wet county north of Birmingham, south right. of Nashville. So all of the people who are working in the business, even though they're recording in Muscle Shoals, they're working over here. You have a very competitive scene. and. Mm-hmm. Um, in the 70s, uh, you start seeing some little rooms, restaurants like Ireland's and Crockmeyer's and Sailmaker open up that are having acoustic musicians. So uh, you have four or five people who are holding up most of that scene, and it is also very competitive. Yeah. And uh, this is about the time I meet your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all playing in these little rooms. Um, we were solo players or little trio players and things like that. And there was me, Tony Mason, um, Robert Byrne, who goes on to mm-hmm. be a very famous songwriter and actually yeah. lived with us over on Musician's Heaven down in 600 East Clinton. And um, Hershey Reeves, um, folks like that. So it was a very small scene. Uh-huh. And um, most of the rooms are being held up by just a few people who are very, very good at what they do because they have to be able to do it live. There is no MIDI. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, yeah. these are, this is old school. Uh, but there's not really a songwriting scene in town per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't really start happening over here until the um, very late 70s with um, Hershey opening up Small World with Robert. And mm-hmm. um, then uh, with Ground Level Sound, we opened up Blind Dillo, which was Landrew uh, over on East Clinton in a basement. And this was the era of guys who were getting their hands on the first four-track analogs and the eight-tracks that were um, semi-pro gear. Right. And the music business in the late 70s, as far as the songwriting goes, begins to collapse. And unless you're going to go country, there's still something happening Mm -hmm, in Nashville. mm -hmm. So those of us who wanted to make records and didn't want to go country had to pretty much build our own studios and um, sit down and learn how to make a record by making one. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we did. And that, that's one of the big differences that there wasn't that there was no really big songwriting scene in Huntsville or Madison mm-hmm. County in the 80s. You start seeing a little more of that in the 90s. But what is different to me right now is that uh, I can go out to someplace like the foyer and, on a songwriter night and it's wall to wall guitars and there's all these yeah. kids singing and playing and um, some of them are quite good and you can tell that they're working and they're learning and they're trying to do something new. Uh, my complaint has always been particularly the traditional sound of North Alabama is the blues. <laughs> well, right. yeah, you know, there's lots of sound out there. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a Kate Bush fan and there's not a bit of American sound in Kate Bush. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to be stuck with the blues. There's Debussy. 
you know. You're right. There was always a, uh, starting in the late 70s, early 80s, there was a fairly good jazz scene cranking up that, you know, your dad was one of the pioneers of uh, when he was at the fret shop. And um, that was new because there wasn't really any jazz on the streets yeah. then other than, the, you know, the big band sounds and stuff. Uh, yeah, I feel like people take for granted uh, Huntsville's geography, like, locale just kind of i mean we're beside florence mm -hmm. but we've got i mean huntsville especially has got so many transplants from other places mm -hmm. it I mostly mean, is yeah. yeah yeah and it's it's got a really interesting variety kind of almost like a clash of musical culture and stuff i mean you've i mean you've got the german folks with their polka mm -hmm. like traditional stuff mm -hmm. and uh, as well as the the old uh, southern sounds that come out of here and yeah, i was i was born on the mountain so uh, I, people ask me where i'm from i tell them i'm one of the aborigines i was here right. when, you know i was here when the great <laughs> wave showed up uh -huh. um the germans gave us a great classical influence polka is really, yeah. really limited they were the ones that you know made the symphony happen and, and a lot of other things they oh yeah it's still so big around here i yeah, mean there's they, a huge respect yeah, for it the, the rocket scientists changed everything mm -hmm. and i was born down the street and got to watch that and but it was slow and it was quiet and it was very focused there was not a real scene here it used to be said that this was the black hole of north alabama that no uh -huh. act could make it out of huntsville that it just doesn't happen and to this day it's still fairly rare because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's never been a large enough recording scene and a large enough songwriting scene with enough collaboration yeah. and synchronicity to create mm -hmm. a wave that has changed right you know, with with you guys, uh, with what I see at the foyer, you know, Emma's before ASCAP and BNI shut them down, which is another topic. Mm -hmm. um, there is a scene happening. So when I'm in foyer and the girl looks across the counter and says, there is no scene here, I want to look back and go, you're the scene. Right. It's now. <laughs> it's you. Do it. You know, get right, together. Right. Find your friends. Get your own graphics artist. You know, work with each other. Quit mm -hmm. expecting your parents to be the ones to make this happen or right. Nashville to make this happen because they're not going to do it. Not unless you're yeah, that's right. Money. And, and we're kind of, you know, we're close to Nashville, but I found... Uh, when we were just having guest artists come through Huntsville, we used to book like house shows and stuff mm -hmm. like that. People come through here, but they just drive straight through because they're going to Birmingham or Atlanta mm -hmm. or something. And it, yeah, you're, it's, a way, you're a waypoint gig, an in-betweener. Right, right. And that's okay as long as there's venues. I mean, and as we get some venues up and uh, I, I feel like there's, I've seen a lot of studios popping up too. I, I, I know there's one uh, down by the Lone Goose and there's Rocket City Sounds. I mean, mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're around and it's, it's good uh most of us, though, have them in our house now. You know, yeah, let's face yeah. it, a recording, a recording mm -hmm. studio is, a, is an Apple laptop. It's not as yeah. good. <laughs> you can't get as good a sound as you can with analog. Yeah. Gear, but it's good enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like it's changed because uh, you hear a lot of uh, real small acts, you know, maybe mm -hmm. just songwriters who are a lot of these young people, mm -hmm. you know, that you would have never heard their songs mm -mm. if they didn't have, you know, their laptop with a little mic in it. Right. It, it might be great stuff, but you would have never heard it, you know, yeah, and they, and they a couple decades go, ago. They can go to Reverb Nation or, or YouTube. Yeah. That's the mm -hmm. second part of it that hasn't quite caught up to you yet. There's enough musicians, but there mm -hmm. aren't enough videographers. And you're going to have to yeah. learn how to make your own videos because, let's face it, YouTube is the radio now. Yeah, and exactly. You need you need to learn how to make videos and things like you know Sony Vegas. It's cheap. Mm -hmm. It's not that hard to learn. You know, make your do learn how to make video and understand multimedia because the only way to make money anymore is to have a complex package. That oh yeah, people you, expect all sorts of stuff. Yeah, out of you have to put more together. So if if you can, 
if you can work with your video artists locally, if you can work with your graphics mm-hmm. artists locally, if you can work with your actors locally, start right. thinking about fusions as, as a fused art, as multimedia. Um, mm-hmm. Daniel and I went to Ireland when we did uh, Irish Space, which was Irish Space was a collaborative effort in 1997 of mm-hmm. about 20 Bermel artists, BRML, see the t-shirt, um, <laughs> who did the world's first virtual reality epic. And to this day, the only one that was ever made. Huh. And we did that all on the web, on email lists, with no yeah. Facebook mm-hmm. or anything. We were just sending each other files. And we took that to Ireland, and I've got a nice video of Daniel demonstrating that for Neil Armstrong. Yes, the yeah. Neil Armstrong <laughs> and the Deputy Prime Minister and all of that. You really can make things happen if you oh, just yeah. take that kind of risk. So there are new media things coming along, such as WebGL popping out that now allows you to do real-time 3D. So mm-hmm. what, what killed us with Vermal is the machines just couldn't catch up to what we wanted to do. Right. We proved it was possible, but nobody could sustain it. Now, with WebGL coming along, you're going to have that native to the browser. So now you can take your sound and you can build it into a 3D space, real-time space right. that mixes itself depending mm-hmm. upon where you do. People say, well, isn't that a game? Well, yeah, but it depends on what you emphasize. You're going to emphasize puzzles or you're going to emphasize music. Yeah. You can take the same tools and create uh, a media that does not yet exist. Yeah. <laughs> and if you want to and win... And that'll get people interested, you know? If you want to win on the web, you're going to have to come mm-hmm. up with something else besides MP3s. Well, yeah, I think that the automation in a lot of uh, software has has come a good way. I mean, there is a, it is still a big barrier for people, but it, it feels like it's getting smaller and smaller the tools, in some ways. Yeah, you the know? tools were really daunting, particularly oh, in the yeah. days of 3D. You, you just had to, I, you had to understand the math. And just the investment and stuff like the... Computer hardware and stuff like that—it's come down mm-hmm. drastically since. Sure. It, it was it was a bit of a, a stretch for us. I mean, we 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 produced um, Irish Space for a P60, and they had P90s when we got there, and we were thank God for those, you know, because mm-hmm. a compact in Ireland showed up with machines just so that we could do it. Um, it became that was an interesting effort because it became a worldwide thing, and mm-hmm. people were diving in to help us, and companies showed up, and it was just because everybody was intrigued to see are these idiots going to get this done? Right. <laughs> and uh, a lot of the verbal community was praying for us to fail because, you know, right. reputations and stuff. Well, but, when people do something new, it's always... Uh, well, we succeeded because we just didn't know that we couldn't win. Right, right. You know, and you... There's a lot to be said for training and ignorance. Yeah. <laughs> well, you learn everything anew when you uh, yeah. gar- started something you just totally raw at. But uh, Well, getting back to the uh, scene in Huntsville... Uh, I know r- pretty recently all the bars and stuff went smoke free. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you feel about that? Is Thank that is God. that I know? <laughs> okay. Thank God. I, I thought you might say that because I remember what, growing up and helping my dad uh, work so many bars. Like, yeah. th- I was too young. I couldn't sit at the bar table, so I had yeah. to like find a stool in the corner because yeah. it was illegal for me to sit at the bar and mm-hmm. it's smoky. And uh, I feel like that's just there's there's a huge sigh of relief from musicians at it's, least it's one of the things that drove me out of playing live oh yeah I, mm-hmm. I just simply couldn't tolerate it I, I got cancer uh, I'm fine but you know mm. um, but it um, I watched my bandmate Ted Arigi die you know in nine yeah. months mm-hmm. and uh, Ted didn't smoke yeah so you just you you can't sing and do that I was playing down the square a couple of months uh, about a month ago just for fun. And I'm standing there and I realize, oh, my God, they have cars driving through here. I mean, we're sucking up carbon. And it didn't take long for the carbon monoxide just, mm-hmm. my voice is Knock gone. you out. Yeah. yeah. So, no, I'm, I'm glad to see it, glad to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's amazing like the coffee clutch places you, <laughs> you'd never yeah. imagine are just clear air now we fought them over that and after 9-11 because i went over to madison and opened up a coffee shop over there that, mm -hmm. uh, an act for that because we were really trying to give people a, a place to go right after 9-11 because everyone was sort of hovering at home yeah mm -hmm. and uh, elton john came out and told all the musicians get off your ass and get back up on those airplanes this is when you have to work because people, yeah people yeah. need you people are looking for stuff yeah so we went over to open it up and it was we made it made it smoke free and family oriented and mm -hmm. then the fellow running it uh, other acts came in and they wanted to make more and more money and uh, that of course mm -hmm. broke his back and he ends up having to bring in liquor and then make it uh, where right. you can smoke inside because the smokers would all congregate at the door so you had right. to run this gauntlet just to go in <laughs> yeah um, well I think it's important for the the younger musicians and stuff to have more like the foyer is a really good example just because you know it's a coffee shop it's not a bar but it is like somewhere in between of uh those like the sports page it's somewhere yeah. in between the sports page and like a home like a house show or something or you know church yeah yeah exactly church is really good for you because church is where you get trained musicians and a lot oh, of yeah. access to gear and stuff so that's a really good i mean mm -hmm. you know i people ask me how do i learn to sing i say go get in a choir oh yeah free music lessons um, and plus, you, you're, you're with so many different people. You can, yes. I mean, if you have questions, you got a hundred people and, to and, ask. And in any church like that, there's really good classical trained musicians oh, yeah. who, who, you know, mm -hmm. just didn't didn't stay in the business, but they're they're well trained. And there's a lot to be said for training. Don't everybody let you ever tell you, oh, right. you know, he he taught himself everything he knows. Well, that means he probably doesn't know a lot, right? You know? Really There's want, always something to learn. Yeah, you, know, you really want the it. training because it really helps. But um, the foyer, you need that because you've got to have some place for the kids to get started. And yeah, it's got to definitely. be a commercial venue where mm -hmm. other people can walk in. Because at church, you're going to be limited congregation. If you're mm -hmm. in a real hardcore bar, I'm sorry, you're limited to alcoholics. Um, right. And that's not necessarily good for you either. So you have to have a place where the music matters. When the Bluebird was first opened in Nashville by Amy mm -hmm. Poland, that was her. That was her thing. Was that you know she honored songwriters, and uh, playing in the years there was really great because when you went in, everybody was made to sit down and listen, mm -hmm. and she basically had a test. You were stood in line. She would hand you a piece of paper for signing up for your audition, right? And she would give you three instructions. I want you to sit down, tell me your name, tell me the name of your song, play the song until you stop. If you violated any of those conditions, mm -hmm. you didn't pass the audition. It didn't <laughs> matter how good you were. Right. And that was what she was trying to tell you. This is a business. It is a serious business. Time is money. If you can't follow mm -hmm. instructions or you are so enamored of yourself that you can't listen. Right. You're trying to steal a show. Or whatever you're doing, you're out of here mm -hmm. because that's the business we're in. Yeah, and I think supporting that songwriter is really good, especially locally, because uh, people are, I guess people are kind of grasping for that that old time folk like stream, you know. Mm, some are, and, and some will get beyond that, because I think mm -hmm. I think the time of the folk uh, where you superstar. Yeah, look, well, I think the time that we've been, where everybody's been trying to imitate Bob Dylan's about to pass. Yeah, yeah. I think mm -hmm. other things are going to come along, and just go with that and that's mm -hmm. why you want the yeah. training is so that you know no matter what right. music is presented to you you can play it um so yeah but at the same time songwriting is almost always a solitary or two people sitting down with their guitars or the piano mm -hmm. or what now we have the gear now that we can sit and score midi i certainly do that mm -hmm. i love it i like to be able to write for orchestra i like to be able to write for choir yeah, uh, yeah, I couldn't do that without the training, and I couldn't do that without the practice. Uh -huh. And the, a folk acoustic scene does not lend itself to that. So, yeah. be prepared. You know, you're producers, and so you got to be mm -hmm. prepared for that broader scope. 
uh, good songwriters. But songwriting, you know, people, well, what does it take to be a good songwriter? And I always tell them, you know, um, read a lot, say less, listen all the time. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. Because the universe is whispering things to you all the time. Yeah. And that's where your good songs are. That's where your good lines yeah. come from. And if you don't listen, you won't hear them. Um, if you read a lot, you will your your language will get much better. Oh, yeah. It's a big deal. Um, say less in your songs. Get mm -hmm. get more concise. Um, listen. Yeah, because you want the the pure meaning, you know, and well, and have and have it expressive. Well, because good songwriting is um, rewriting, like any other kind of writing. It's not yeah. just what words you bounce out there. You, mm -hmm. it has to be singable. It has to be clean. It has to be yeah. rhythmic. Um, the words all have to work to the point of the song. Songs are really little mini plays stuck into right. a much tighter yeah. writing. Helps to study a little journalism too, because you're gonna you can't write "Love Me Do" every day. Right. You know, you're yeah. not going to be 15 years old with your heart broken. There's a point at which you're going to have to look out into the world and yeah. quit writing about yourself and start writing about what you see. Yeah, that's what's great about music is you can really you can pull experiences from all sorts mm -hmm. of disciplines. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's good the flexibility of music because you have people you know they may not. They may not even have a huge grip on like playing a, a acoustic instrument or something, but they might have a really good technical grasp, mm -hmm. like, like the DJ scene and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's changed the way things work, but it's kind of broadened horizons, you know, well, the electronics in general. The most important thing, um, performance-wise, writing-wise, art-craft-wise, is that, and this sounds cliche, but uh, Wayne Bridge was explaining this on stage to some girls the other night. They were asking him. It has to have feeling. If right. what you're doing doesn't have a feel, it doesn't matter how you achieve it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all tools is tools, MIDI, guitar. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Tools is tools. They're just, you know, tools. Mm -hmm. It's the touch. It's the breath. It's the heart. It's the actual physical anatomy. Yeah, it's the communication the between yeah. the, the well, artist and the... Yeah, it's, but it's, it has to start with you having a feeling. And you've right. got to be able to express that. Because if you can't do that, no matter what you do, it will be wooden. Right. And you can be the simplest player. You can be the most complex player. If you can't play with feel, forget it. You know, right. Go get another What's job. What's the point? Yeah. yeah, go get another job. Well, great. So you're going to be playing uh, Pity on the Fool for us? Sure. Why not? Good deal. Do you want to talk about that song a little bit? Um, this was the first song that I actually got a good recording of back in the old Cube days. This is really quite mm -hmm. old for me. And... Um, we produced it with piano and, and all of that stuff. Um, I wrote it on guitar, but I've actually never performed it on guitar, so this will be a first. <laughs> um, it's it's off of Ground Level Sound's first album, and I just still like it. I just wish someone had brought, uh, you know, bass and a horn or something. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, we'll have you. Uh, this is Len Bullard with Pity on the Fool.
can drive him on to madness Cause he'll do just what you please And I'm not so hard That I can't understand How the woman in you Makes a madness in the man Have pity on the fool who falls in love Cause it's a pity All right, we're back with Lynn Bullard. Uh, you talked a lot about the cube and uh, the kind of community around in Huntsville. I was, I was just wondering how important that was to you and your songwriting and how a physical community really rubbed off on the whole scene. Um, if you don't have mates to work with uh, in a band, I suggest you get one because mm -hmm. you're going to learn more about music and songwriting from playing with other people than you could possibly learn from listening to records or, you know, going to the seminar where you spend three hundred forty-five dollars <laughs> to be told things that you could figure out from reading the book. Right, right. You know, um, I don't tell you to avoid those, but uh, it's kind of a, <laughs> what you really should do, though. Um, people ask me, you know, how do you do the finger picking thing, and I tell them, you know, take a year of classical guitar because right. it will straighten your fingering out. I was mm -hmm. very lucky that... You have to. It's a yeah. classical guitar. You really have well, to. Well, you really have to learn certain tricks about how to play the guitar. It's not just things you make up. There are mm -hmm. There's a science there, and there's a, mm -hmm. there's a craft. And I was very lucky because at that time, uh, the head of the UAH music department was a man named Dr. Royce Boyer. Mm -hmm. And Boyer made a funny decision uh, to people at the time, and that was to allow people into 
music courses at the college level who had no training. Now, that's really hard to do now. Mm -hmm. But um, he just sort of had this, he was a jazz aficionado, and he wanted to see, you know, we've got all these street musicians in town, and what happens if we start bringing them in? And so right. I went in for the audition and uh, played him a song on my guitar, and he says, well, you're not trained, but you're definitely musical. Mm -hmm. And you find out later from other trained musicians that that's a little bit of a of a put down because it means mm -hmm. you, you don't have the real chops. But he was honest about it, that if we yeah. would come in and we would work, he would let us through. So yeah, I go in and our instructor was a man named Charlie Higgins, um, whose son Dan Higgins is still in town, Kathy. Mm -hmm. And Charlie had been a country musician who had gotten training and he was willing to work with me. And uh, I owe everything to Charlie as far as my, my ability to play like classical guitar or work on a nylon string. Cause the first thing they do is they take the steel string away from you right. and say nylon or nothing. Mm -hmm. And there was a girl in class with me who just looked at it and says, you know, I'm never going to get any good at this. And she said, so I'm going to sell you my classical guitar for a hundred dollars. And right. she did. And that's the guitar that my daughter Kelly is now playing at Tuscaloosa. So, uh, you know, Grisel oh, awesome. Griselda has been around for a while. Right. <laughs> um, and it was just, it was, a, it was a wonderful experience. But, you know, we were starving our way through college. There was no right. money. The funny thing was that we were working musicians so that we would go to school. And during the daytime, we were the idiots at the back of the class because we didn't have the training. We couldn't answer the questions. Mm -hmm. I almost flunked my first theory class. Uh, they let me through by the, you know, for politeness. <laughs> uh, the teacher just didn't want to see me again. Okay. And to fool with her, I went back and took th theory um, three or four times until I finally got my grade up to an mm -hmm. A. And Boyer asked me, why have you taken this so many times? I said, because I intend to use it. And right. I understood. You want to learn it. Yeah, I really did want to learn it. It wasn't something I just, you know, I just couldn't. I had to have the, the, the knowledge. Um, and that has paid off, you know, enormously yeah. now because, you know, now when I sit down when, and I score for choir stuff like that, that's what I'm using. It's mm -hmm. not, yeah. it's not just made up on the top of my head. It's things that I've learned. Um, so the fact that there was a university willing to work with us, that there were, that there was a, a working musician scene in town so that we could put ourselves through school, which is yeah. what we were doing mm -hmm. a lot cheaper than, you know, I wouldn't. Right. It's very expensive for you now. And I really feel sorry about that, but um, we could afford UAH and UAH allowed us to be there. Um, and it was a crazy time because it's, you know, it's, it's after the pill and before AIDS. So it was mm -hmm. wide open to a boogie party for about 10 years. Open season. Yeah, it was open season. And, <laughs> and thank you, Lord. We thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, so it was just, it was a different time, but there was just, yeah. there was no support in town. Again, there was very little recording scene. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, we had to invent all of that. And part of what you have out there now is because we went through that scene. Right. Yeah, and there's a, I think there's been a big change, and uh, people are missing the live bands, or they're starting to, you know, because there's been such a strange takeover of people with laptops and DJs mm -hmm. of just crowding out the live and, gigs. And just they're just well, not around like they used to be. There was a scene that stretched down university where there was just lots of rooms to play in, and, and right. it, it wasn't the technology, but Mothers Against Drunk Driving that killed that, mm. because again, it was it was these were nightclubs, yeah, and you have mm -hmm. to make money. Mm -hmm. And uh, with the de-emphasis on music in this generation, nobody's willing to go out and pay what it costs the band to be there. And mm -hmm. you, you know that it costs yeah. a lot. This is not the first time it's happened. Think about it. In the 30s and 40s, you had huge bands. In mm -hmm. the 50s, the economy collapses and it goes back to, you know, combos and trios. Right. And 
the 60s comes along and it's your you know first it's your swinging folk scene and mm-hmm. then it's a big folk scene and then suddenly with the Beatles the bands come back and then by your 70s it's 14 and 80s it's 14 and 15 pieces you know funk bands and yeah. stuff <laughs> and everybody's on the road and there's good money so you have to sort of view it lifelong as a musician as it's going to be yeah these cycles mm-hmm. you're going to go through ups and downs just yeah. don't ever quit yeah yeah definitely you know, there's, there's always an entourage or some ensemble you can put together if it's just solo you can sing right. mm-hmm. if it's not find somebody who can sing and back them up that's right yeah mm-hmm. well i want to do your take on the whole digital spin uh music has taken i mean with the the labels kind of almost in decline you know from the just take over from the music is accessed but it's not it's not near like it used to be i mean there's no vinyls um, well they say vinyls are coming back but yeah uh, pluses and minuses tools is tools Mm-hmm. What digital brought to us was the ability to do complex work for very cheap. Mm-hmm. At the same time, um, if you go digital and you don't go real high res, you deal with the fact, as uh, T-Bone Burnett says, that you have square sound. You know, digital is on off. And so therefore, it's only ever, an, it's just an approximation of sound. It's not really sound. Right, right. It's, it's the instructions for making sound Mm -hmm. and that has a tendency to sound a little thin and midi uh mids and so um that took away from the quality of of the recording and you know because mp3s really suck Mm -hmm. um and unfortunately because you're good engineers you'll try to make the you'll do what you have to do to the music to make the mp3 sound good and that becomes a constraint on the music you can listen to yeah Uh, and it really hurts acoustic music it, you know, mm-hmm. it sounds good for uh, high, dig- high digital sounds, uh, synth sounds and all of that, because right. those are square as well. Mm-hmm. But it sounds bad for acoustic. You don't have any room. Compression hurts sound. Uh, T-Bone Burnett left Nashville over that and wouldn't come back till they would allow him to take the compression out. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're back to, you know, if you go back to vinyl, you go back to the needles that bounce because you got too loud a bass sound. Right, you uh, got to find that. Yeah, the Beatles fought that. That was Paul McCartney's big thing, you know, the RIA curve. You know, mm-hmm. Will you let me get a little more bass in there? So that that side of it has its pluses or minuses. The web hurt us because it destroyed mechanical royalties. It, right. The musicians have to work a long time to be able to do what they do. It's not mm-hmm. cheap. It's not easy. A good record is a quarter of a million dollar production at minimum. Right. And it's up to a million if you do it right. And what that means is you're playing musicians, you're paying uh, arrangers, you're paying everybody. And the mm-hmm. artist pays for that. So if the artist can't pay for that, they've got no choice but to do the digital small studio thing. And that's good because they can get their songs written and they can actually get something done. They can get mm-hmm. it out there. The web allows them to get to a large audience. I mean, I've got yeah. a YouTube site and I'm really surprised who downloads it and, and, yeah. and where it goes and stuff because yeah. it's worldwide. Yeah, um, It's not a lot of money. But yeah. and that's the deal is uh, as Paul as I'm sorry a Ringo Starr and um, fellow were saying you know we sat down to write a song and it used to be we could write a song and that got us a swimming pool or a small house now we figure we're going to split eighty seven dollars right and you know even for the very mm-hmm. bigs that's that's a big deal that there's no longer oh, any yeah. mechanical royalties coming back from play uh, that's destroying the songwriting business it's destroying the um, the other pieces of the industry because remember the musicians are like one of ten roles oh, yeah. that you have to have mm-hmm. so everybody's being hurt by that and i am very much working with those who are trying to figure out how to make the people who took all that money which is mm-hmm. google and youtube and right and spotify and make them give some of it back 
Yeah. Um, and that's going to be an ongoing fight. The other end of that fight, though, is that at the very, you have the very small rooms like the foyer and MST room and these places that, that allow young songwriters to come play. To recoup those mechanicals, BMI and ASCAP are going in and beating those people up and threatening and right. suing them for the fees. Those, they're all that's left, right? Yeah, <laughs> no, that's all that's left for the kids. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, yeah, guys my age, we can go find a bigger room, I suppose, if we want to. Well, I try not to do that. I try mm -hmm. not to take money away from working musicians. Yeah. Um, but for the kids, they need those rooms. They need those little rooms that they can go get some experiences. I mean, church is good. Mm -hmm. um, school is good. But you really finally have to go down and get in front of an audience right. that's either, you know, uh, that's drinking coffee and ignoring you and making noise. And you have to fight for their attention. That's and right. that's good for you. Yeah, so, be in the public. Rather. So if, if, if by trying to recoup those mechanicals they're losing to the web, they go out and they're operating what's functionally a protection racket. Yeah. on um, these little bitty rooms, that's stupid mm -hmm. because that's where your next generation of musicians have come from. Also, because they can't play any covers, they're going to forget my generation's music. They want to play it, right? but they're not allowed to. So they're just going to come up with their own scene and their own sound and their own heroes, and uh, we might as well dawdle off to the old folks' home, taking our culture with us. And that would be a bad thing. Because, you know, we learn from the Gershwins. We learn from the Beatles. We yeah, right. From, you want to learn those songs. That's where you mm -hmm. find out what good is. Yeah. The music industry has got to finally come to a grace realization that don't rob piggy banks. Don't go yeah. hurt the seed corn. Mm -hmm. Make sure that there's, you know, what I look for is an exclusion contract that says if you're below this number of seats and this below of earning, you don't pay fees. Right. If you get bigger and you make money, we're coming for some of it. Right. If you're playing yeah. covers, we're coming for some of them. And they should. Mm -hmm. But don't kill the seed corn. You know, there's got to be some... Also, if they would do that, then your generation's a lot more willing to say, okay, we're not going to steal because we're stealing from ourselves. Right. They're going to be a lot more willing to say, let's become BMI writers. Let's, you know... Mm -hmm. BMI, work with the system, but let's I mean, work with the system instead of having to fight it because they're helping us. And this is really true. Mm -hmm. If you did not have the collection agency as a songwriter, you wouldn't get a dime. Yeah, Goombas, there has to be some. Goombas have some. to go out and beat up club owners to get them to pay. Mm -hmm. They have to go get those collections, and it's not going to happen any other way. I, I was a BMI writer. We were working in a room downtown, and the guy came in and said, "I'm going to collect." And the guy says, "I'm not going to pay you." And he looks at us and says, "Would you guys quit if I don't pay them?" We said, "Yes, we're BMI mm -hmm. writers." Right. And he says, "Oh, that's the way it works." I said, "Yeah." Now, ASCAP, different system and not very fair. ASCAP takes a formula and gives all the money to the top performers. So no matter how hard you work as a songwriter, you're basically giving your money to... You know, Whoever's yeah, already yeah, successful. Uh, Taylor Swift or whoever. Yeah. Um, BMI is a little more fair, but either way, there's got to be some kind of accommodation there. And the only way that's going to happen is we're going to have to make a lot of noise about it. Yeah. Um, I like that when I get out of the foyer, it says on the front, no covers. Mm -hmm. you know, and they're telling you straight up, this is what we do. And yet they're still collecting money from their um, audience every week to try to pay those fees. And right. I want to look at them and say, stop doing that. You know, mm -hmm. buy yourself a good PA or something. But, you know, God bless them. They're trying. They're trying. Right. Um, but I think my generation, uh, this older farts, we really need to look back at the agencies and stuff and say, stop that, damn it. Really? <laughs> you know. And they are, uh, I mean, I think they've been hurt so bad by the uh, the internet and everything. They're really just grasping because the, the yeah, money's just are. gone. And they are. They have, they have nothing left except what they had before. 
Yeah, and some of them don't really. I mean, Paul McCartney doesn't need more money. Um, right. But, you know, I have worked with uh, people in the industry, um, Taplin, uh, T-Bone Burnett, people like that, trying to help them understand the scene that they're up against because I was part of the group that built the web, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. He and Al Gore. Uh, <laughs> but, um, and so I've always known what was coming. And they talk to me because of that, that I've stood in both worlds and have some viewpoints on that. doesn't mean they do what I ask, but, you know, I have been able to give them advice and write things for them from time to time. But they're going a little too far um, aggressively mm-hmm. and uh, not particularly Taplin or Bur- Burnett. I think they do understand, but Dave Lowry or the Tricordis, they're going a little too far. Yeah, I think it's, it's turning people off to uh, signing up with them, really. I mean, there's, there, it's so easy to be an independent producer mm-hmm. with all the freeware. I mean, there's free recording software mm-hmm. nowadays mm-hmm. that uh, they just don't, they don't see the need for it. And it's, it, and you know, it really should be like a collective of musicians, like protecting each other. Well, and that's what they'll tell you. But, um, and I've said to them, I said, you know, kids are starting to get an attitude that says, screw Nashville, we don't need you. Mm-hmm. We just don't have to come up there. You've got nothing we don't have other than access to money and big stars and names. And you really do need the industry eventually. But at the same yeah. time, you don't need it to get started. And some people don't need it at all. You look at Walk Off the Earth. Mm-hmm. You know, 75 million fans and just sitting in Ontario and making their little videos and mm-hmm. stuff. And they're doing fine. Um, well, it's interesting because it's, it's kind of rising up out of, like, the I don't know if you heard of OK Go with the YouTube and all that. Mm-hmm. They, I think they started making mostly music videos but mm-hmm. mo- more videos and they they've become uh musicians essentially and mm-hmm. releasing songs now yeah it's, it's kind of interesting it's that the monkeys they, all over again yeah 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 it's it, everyone's kind of coming because there's so much access i guess well that's the and that's the point of it and that's a point uh burnett made to me he says what's the difference between me and you i have access mm-hmm. i have access to money but he also has the risk of that that when he takes that money and does something with it he has to succeed because the people who give you that money do not accept non-success so you at least have the room to experiment you have more things to experiment with you have a chance of making something new and you have a chance to have a really good time if you don't make it really big in the business it really doesn't matter did you have fun so that's (laughs) do you enjoy are you proud of your work but we're telling them look um show some grace you know, try to understand that you, if you're going, if you're grasping for money, a college student trying to write a song is grasping a whole lot harder, right? Because you already have money, and these guys don't, and um, they have had some trouble understanding it because yeah. they enjoyed such success in their lives, and they've always and made it, it well. Admired. The industry was really built off of the the mm-hmm. whole. I mean, now that production's kind of flipped on its head, mm-hmm. they they built it the complete opposite, and now. The yeah, world has changed so rapidly. They were A-listers. You can really see that when you you see the Facebook pages of A-list people who have to mm-hmm. have Team Zeds. You know, the the Team Maribeth who represents them, and they never right. they're never on their Facebook page. Right. And then because temperamentally they can't, they were mm-hmm. raised with handlers, and they don't know what to say, and they're just mm-hmm. they're. You know, I've seen one or two that you just had to turn them off because they're so mean about it. Mm-hmm. And. Um, then you'll have the ones um, like Arlo Guthrie, um, Mike Nesmith, um, Daryl Hannah, you know, who, who told me back very quickly, no, Len, there is no team, Daryl, it's me. Right. Uh, Neil Young, who put up a, a thing and says, if you see this hat, it's me. Uh-huh. Otherwise, it's my team, but otherwise, it's me. 
Julian Lennon argued down his his crowd because they were getting mad about the team Julian. He said, look, I've got a lot of things to do here. I can't do this all yeah. the time. He says, but quit chewing on my people. And we're going, well, Julian, it's a conversational medium, and we Sorry. expect you to come down. And I haven't basically anyone who has a team Z and they never show up, I don't care mm-hmm. who they are, I get rid of them on my Facebook feed. Right. If they don't have the cojones to have a chat with us every once in a mm-hmm. while, and I don't mean that controlled chat where someone looks at the questions and everything. Like yeah, the, pre- the Alton thing. Um, you know, you're a human being too, and mm-hmm. this is the world as it exists now. You, if you want to be loved by your fans, talk to them from time to time. Right. Yeah. Well, I think you see that with like uh, some some people like uh, George Takei has become wildly mm-hmm. popular mm-hmm. on Facebook, mm-hmm. and it's it's more. I mean, it's nothing to do with acting. He's not Mm-mm. he's not writing about uh, his best. Uh, you know his best roles or his most useful tips for yeah. ongoing actors. It's all. It's all more. It's. It, well, it feels much more intimate and he's more ju- a joke. Yeah, and he's having fun, and and occasionally it is his team doing it. And he he admits, okay, oh, this yeah. is this is my mm-hmm. team doing this. But he says, but yeah, it's also me. That's all we ask. Uh, Bet Midler does it. Mm-hmm. You you see the ones who who are real entertainers and who really have worked in the rooms, and mm-hmm. I think that's a big deal. The people who've actually worked rooms and. Who know yeah. what it's like to have an audience sitting, you know, three feet off of their nose, right? Um, and Being emerged in in yeah. your uh, the people who are consuming your work, pretty much, and they enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Also, if you're going to release anything anymore, sorry, you're going to have to release it on Facebook. That's yep. where everybody is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the great club now, and that's I think that's a good thing. Um, I don't think the rest of the industry goes away, but they're having a hard time adapting to it. And that just simply means that the children are going to eat them. <laughs> right. <laughs> the It'll change one way or another. <laughs> yeah, one, one way or another, because the kids come up thinking, yeah, well, this is where you go for music. And uh, yeah. that's certainly true. Mm-hmm. I'm glad for it because of the of the stuff that I get. I used to be, you know, you've only got 1% of the stuff that was released. Oh, Taplin yeah. was talking about Because you that. had to have the money behind it. Yeah, Taplin wrote a blog about that, the monoculture. They said that you only 1% of the stuff being made was reaching mm-hmm. everybody. He says, that's wrong. And that's a sea change for Taplin because he was a defender of that before. And now he's, you know, he was a curator that only the best should get out there. It's an elite thing. Right. <laughs> and now he's beginning to realize because we've beaten him up about it that, no, um, everything should get there and they will curate it for themselves. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. It's like the free market of music nowadays because... Uh, it definitely is free. And, and, yeah, unfortunately, it's really too free. But, uh, but, but things come out of nowhere and uh, just, I, I guess, catch the dime of the public and... They just blow up, mm-hmm. and uh, it it is interesting the the kind of artists and stuff you see growing. But I'm impressed by some of it. Like I said, I, I some of it for a while was extremely bad. Yeah, and then but then again, you go to the Bluebird on a songwriter night, and of the ten acts up there, three should have stayed home, and the next couple were okay, and then you'll get that last three that are very good. Right, that's the normal bell curve of talent. Yeah, and it doesn't that's how mean, it goes. Right? It doesn't mean those those first three or four shouldn't have been there because they were good enough to pass the audition. Mm-hmm. It just means, you know, they don't probably have a big future as performers, but they may be good songwriters. They may be good lyricists. Um, they have a role. And that's what you don't want to do is is make it elite again. Because, again, mm-hmm. control of access kept people from being able to be heard. And a lot of good artists disappeared. That's really what happened to the black artists of the 20s. Had, mm. the, had the so-called race records not been collected by furious collectors, mm-hmm. they would have vanished. Robert Johnson would have vanished. Right. Okay. So you definitely don't want to kill that. You know, the bottom of the hat. You know, mm-hmm. The brim. The brim is where the brim. It's the brim of the hat that's keeping the water off your head. Right. <laughs> not, not the not the tip of it. Uh, and nobody that goes to the top stays there. 
So I don't think any of that's going to change, uh, but I am impressed by things I'm hearing. Again, um, someone popped the Walk on the Earth video up, and I looked at that. I love this. This was great <laughs> because it was fun. It was funny, and they right. can actually sing. Uh, that's the one thing I kind of would like to look at someone and say, learn to sing. <laughs> it helps. So you're going to be playing a cover for us, a very old one. Oh, yeah. Bach, <laughs> a classical. Yeah, yeah. This, this is in honor of my old teacher, Charlie, who taught me how to play this years ago, and I... Every couple of years, I have to relearn it because if I stop playing it for any length of time, it goes away. <laughs> and it might not work tonight, I don't know. All right. This is the end of part one of our interview with Lynn Bullard. You can find the rest of the interview in the link below. You're listening to Spice Radio.